at the time, um, Jame's security guards at the Hey Adams Hotel, which is this famous five-star hotel, his security guards came out and, and really quite viciously beat up um, many of the anti-Jame protesters out there. And, and we really decided at that moment in time, on that day, to really put all of our efforts, whether personal, professional, or, or otherwise, towards towards building this groundbreaking coalition that would ultimately depose Jame. And, and three years later, we, we actually did it. So welcome to our second episode of the second season of Global IRI's official podcast. Chessie, welcome, I guess. Thank you. To hosting with me. This is quite exciting. Yeah, this is our inaugural event. I know. Together. Although technically, I don't think I'm a noob anymore, right? I know. It's kind of funny. They, they took a long time to pair us up. They but, did. Uh, Better late than never. Yes. So my name is John Tomaszewski. I am the Africa Regional Director and host. And my name is Chessie Gortsunian, and I work on IRI's MENA team. Perfect. And for all of you first-time listeners, Global is a monthly podcast that features one country per episode where we deliver an on-the-ground look at a rapidly changing world. This month, we're talking about a very, very tiny country in Africa, the Gambia. It is a tiny country, but actually very important to the region. And I think the story of what is going on in the Gambia over the past 24 months talks a lot about the future democracy in the world and the changes that are possible when people come together. Yeah, and the Gambia was actually all over the news. Was it last summer, I think? So you probably saw or heard about it in the headlines. It was the first chance Gambians had to celebrate the country's only ever peaceful change of president in half a century. At the gates of State House they gathered, knowing a new guard is on its way into power. The crowd welcomed foreign troops, a regional force led by the Senegalese. The threat of military action helped remove a president who refused to accept election defeat. Now their extra security will help smooth the transition. We're actually coming up, we're just past the one-year anniversary of the 22-year dictator Yahya Jame, mm -hmm. uh, probably one of the most brutal dictators in, in the 21st century in Africa that we've seen. Right. Um, he departed the country, and he's now in exile farming in Equatorial Guinea. Uh, but this was a pretty bad guy. I mean, you know, had his own cure for AIDS and made sure people took the, tried to take the to, uh, the tonics and 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 the the herbs to cure oh HIV. Mm -hmm. uh, it didn't work, obviously. Right. Um, he's also known to uh, use mystical powers, and uh, he once predicted that he would rule the country for a billion years. I'd actually heard that uh, one. Yeah, if it was uh, if God was willing. So I think mm -hmm. divine intervention came in and. Uh, um, God little, was not willing. Yeah, a little mixture of divine intervention and people power uh, has moved this this man on. And uh, but it's a new day for this country. So JT, you're an Africa guy. What do we need to know about the Gambia? What are the fast facts? So the Gambia is known as the Smiling Coast. If you if you look at the way that the river that runs down the middle of it, um, it looks like a smile. <laughs> um, the capital of the country is Banjul. The country is only about 2 million people. Um, it is surrounded on all three sides by the country of Senegal. It has a weird colonial history, and we'll get into that during this episode. Uh, England actually brought, bought it from the Portuguese back in the 1500s. Um, it actually turned into a major inland slave route. 
So a lot of ships and such would go inland, pull the slaves out, then then push them onward in the transatlantic uh, mm. slave trade. Of course, when that was banned, um, Gambia changed. It changed its economy. It changed its function for the colonial power. It became a major trade route. Uh, fishing, obviously agriculture, there's a number of important economic details we'll get into. Um, it is the smallest country on mainland Africa. Mm-hmm. Many people don't know that. So there are a lot of small countries amongst the 54 countries on the continent. Um, Africa is not a country, so we know that. <laughs> so it's not like Gambia is like a little state. No, it's its own country. The country is approximately 4,000 square miles, uh, about the size of the island of Jamaica. That's um, very small. Yeah, and it, and again, it's completely surrounded by Senegal. It's like Senegal's like eating it. You should look at it on a map if you get a chance. Honestly, listeners, I encourage you to take out your phone right now and Google the Gambia so you can take a look at the country's unique shape. English is the official language, uh, obviously remnants of, of the colonial past, uh, but it does also have a number of really interesting tribal uh, ethnicities and, and groups, uh, the Mendinka, Wola, Fula, Serer, Jola. Um, they all have their own indigenous languages, their own historical cultures. Um, the Mendika are the largest ethnic group, and with the Fulu, the Wolof, the Jola, um, and others uh, coming slightly behind. Religion, majority, vast majority, 90 plus percent Islam, um, some Christianity, and a little bit of uh, animism. Notable about the Gambia is, the for those of you who know the Freedom in the World Index that Freedom House puts out, Gambia saw one of the largest increases in 2018 um, from not free to partly free. And uh, many will say, if you're in the Gambia, that the country is completely free today. Uh, and, and again, we'll talk about that dramatic change uh, as we go on this episode. So, Chessie, we have a number of amazing guests uh, to talk about the Gambia, maybe you can give us a rundown. Yeah, let's, I'll start us off. So first we have um, Dr. Isatu Torre, who is currently the Gambian Minister for Trade, Regional Integration and Employment. But she's also been a lifelong activist for women's rights in the Gambia. Absolutely. And and played a pivotal role, as we'll discuss, um, in actually the election process and the success of those elections in December 2016 that changed the country. She's also the 2017 recipient of IRI's Jean J. Kirkpatrick Award, which awards women around the world who strongly advocate for the promotion of democracy. Absolutely. And, and her story will come through. Uh, a lot in this in this episode. Uh, our other guest is Jeff Smith. Um, he's the executive director of Vanguard Africa and huge human rights activist. Um, but also when we talk about the Gambia, there are very few people outside of the Gambia uh, who are foreigners who can talk with such granular detail about the struggle for democracy and human rights in that country. And finally, last but not least, we have Roger Mitchell, IRI's very own program officer who actually launched our Gambia program. He's a graduate of Taylor University with a degree in economic development and international affairs. And he's been working with IRI for about four and a half years now. Yeah, working under my terror. Uh, (laughs) Roger worked with me for quite some time and and I've been to the Gambia with Roger several times. Uh, He'll be a great resource to sort of get the on the ground context to what IRI is doing there. So let's get started. So Jeff, just to kind of go back, you know, the, in the early days, sort of right after Gambia gained independence from British, British colonial rule in 1965, became a full republic within the Commonwealth in 1970, uh, there was this guy, Sir Dauda Jawara. What do you know about him? And what could you say about him? Dauda Jawara was the, the first president of the Gambia. He ruled the country from, from very early on, immediately after independence. Um, and through July 1994, when he was ultimately toppled by a military coup internationally uh, during that time, he really did have quite a positive reputation. He uh, was seen as a responsible statesman. He was applauded 
for promoting human rights in that country. It's not a coincidence that African leaders in the late 1980s decided to place the African Commission for Human and People's Rights in Banjul, the Gambia's capital. But d- d- despite those those gains uh, and, dis- and despite his prominence placed on, on respect for civil liberties and, and political rights, the president did face growing internal criticism in the early 1990s for really failing to drive uh, the country's overall human development. Okay, so in 1994, you did mention the coup and that Jawara was deposed. Who carried out this coup and emerged as the country's leader? So the, the individual, one of the main individuals that, that carried out the coup uh, against President Jawara was a junior military officer by the name of Yahya Jameh, who in the end, uh, ended up ruling the country with nothing short of an iron fist for, for 22 years until uh, January of, of 2017. Interestingly, when, when he came to power, it was it was widely celebrated and, and in many different sectors, given the fact that many people, many Gambians perceived the previous government as, as falling short on, on a number of standards. So when Jami came to power during his first televised news conference uh, with, with state media said, you know, this is his words where this is a coup with a difference. I'm I'm here to to, um, uh, to to bring a better democracy to the country. Obviously, as in many instances with with military coups elsewhere, that obviously did not um, turn out to be true. So, Dr. Torre, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what it was like to live under Yaya Jame. Well, I think uh, even those who may not know the Gambia might have heard about the difficulties that Gambians have had. Seeing the number of Gambians that have been migrating, going through the perilous journeys uh, in the Mediterranean, leaving the Gambia because of the fact that there was a very difficult government that is under the regime of Yaya Jame for 22 years. There were abuses of human rights lack of respect, no democracy, and uh, it uh, affected everybody and there was no rule of law. So it was a very, very difficult context. As I, I, I was a victim of the regime because of my activism, grassroots activism, reaching out to the people, educating them and informing them about the laws and the protocols that protect them. And this was something that was, there was zero tolerance to giving information that would empower the people. There were also people who were arrested for coming out to do peaceful protests in demand of their political rights. And even assembly was not allowed. There was no freedom of press. The media, the journalists, and all uh, citizens were not having the freedom that they had. And of course, there was no democracy. As a result, um, the Gambia lost all its uh, friends. And it was no longer among the community of nations. And there was this despot, this dictatorship that was there, and people could not tolerate it anymore. So, Roger, the question that all of our listeners are dying to know right now, what is the significance behind the in the Gambia? Oh, this is a funny one. I'm glad you asked. So there are only two uh, countries in the world that have the in front of, officially, mm-hmm. in front of their names. Um, mm-hmm. Gambia and, uh, or the Gambia, sorry, and um, the Bahamas is the other one. Um, the reasoning behind that, um, it actually dates back to the late um, 1960s um, when the government of the Gambia wanted to differentiate itself from uh, its fellow neighbors of the Zam- or Zambia. Uh, and so to differentiate Gambia and Zambia, they added the... So, Roger, how did we arrive at the current political state? Recently, I would say that um, what's important around the Gambia is that you had a, a coalition movement that really started with the diaspora. That movement... Um, 
started over five years ago and seeing a lot of uh, diaspora um, folks uh, really co-lease uh, and contribute financially and uh, academically, if you will, or through support um, and different means to uh, their fellow activists in the Gambia is really how you started to see a bit of this uh, political opposition really gain some traction with citizens in the Gambia. And so this all really came um, together uh, in uh, late 2016 uh, around uh, a mass rally led by youth. Um, and this is where we kind of, uh, IRI got plugged into the Gambia is meeting with some of these activists after the protest. But this big protest uh, happened and uh, one of the primary youth opposition leaders was uh, brutally, uh, allegedly brutally killed uh, in uh, detention. Who is um, this? His name is Solo Sadong. Um, and so he uh, he died after being arrested, and uh, it was unconfirmed if it was who, how. But, I mean, most human rights activists accept that he uh, he was killed by um, by state officials. Dr. Torre, could you talk a little bit about the protests in the spring of 2016? Yes, that process, protest came out because people were really desperate. You know, when you move people to a point, there is a time they take a standpoint. And when they saw us come out and there was this whole discussion going on, it was important for the protest to happen because they have already reached the peak of the abuse, you know, and the control over them. And they decided to come out. Now, it was it was a justified protest because they were not coming out violently. They came out to express their views. So in the numbers were increasing. People were beginning to see that they have to come together, they have to put together, they have to, to solidify their strength, not as individual, but as groups. And I think constitutionally, in any democracy, that's a very important sign to allow people to come together and express their views in non-violent way. So that was very significant. If, although it, uh, there were crackdowns, uh, that was where you have youth activists, political activists. Solo Sanding. Solo Sanding was killed. Uh, uh, he was killed, and there was a mass uprising. You can, it was obvious, and that was the beginning of the change that the people wanted. And no, they can no longer keep quiet. They can no longer be silent. And uh, the state was not ready to tolerate that, and it resulted into many casualties. Solo Sanding died. Many women and young people were arrested. Political leaders were arrested, and also prisoners of conscience were also arrested for uh, supporting the process. And that, I think, was also one of the triggers as to why this coalition was absolutely necessary to deal with the impunity of the state mm -hmm. at that time. And that was why we thought we need to be unified. We need to be strong. We need to throw away all our personal interests and look at the better, in the best interests of the Gambia, mm -hmm. the Gambia, and to move the Gambia and put it on a solid foundation of democracy. Roger, what was IRI's role in the country? It's, it's hard for us to take credit for, uh, for, for this monumental election, but we did uh, provide some, uh, some crucial support to uh, youth activists ahead of the election um, after meeting some of the activists that were um, detained and, uh, during the, the 2016 uh, protests and meeting those activists and, uh, really, uh, and being able to receive some funding uh, to, uh, to go and work with uh, these youth activists. We trained them in offshore capacity um, to go back and lead some civic and voter education campaigns targeting youth. So can you talk to me more about that democratic transition that led to the ousting of Jame in 2016? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, this is, I think, the, the most interesting part uh, in the last in the recent history of the Gambia is that you had this protest, which uh, really started to uh, to rally the opposition. Another large factor uh, was the candidacy of Dr. Asatu Toure um, and her candidacy coupled with 
some of these youth really coming uh, forward and voicing uh, their uh, their concerns and their rights, um, I think created this movement. Um, and additionally to that, you had uh, the traditional political party opposition. And so to add to all of that, um, Dr. Toure, I think, really challenged the opposition to, to unite. Um, and uh, despite... Um, the opposition largely being imprisoned after some of these events, uh, you had um, unifying the opposition was a really difficult task. Um, and really, these things happened in a few different successions. Um, the youth protest was the first uh, event, in my opinion. The second one was the detention of uh, major opposition leaders, including Usaini Darbo. Um, and once those two events happened, uh, the opposition really was fragmented. And so it left a lot of people wondering who would even run um, against uh, Jame in the, in the last elections. Um, and eventually, um, what happened is Dr. Torre, who was a prominent women activist, came forward and ran. And so uh, her candidacy really, I think, challenged uh, the, co- the the opposition to rethink um, what their goals are. Um, and so they uh, were able, um, kind of at the last minute, to really come around and to agree that neither Dr. Torre nor Darbo uh, nor some of these large figurehead opposition leaders would run. And instead, President or former um, uh, Mr. Adam Abaro, since he wasn't president yet, uh, ran as the as the coalition leader for six different opposition groups. So let's talk about those elections. Dr. Torrey, can you tell us about your time running for president? Yes, what happened was that uh, it was important. I came in with very good intentions to lead, leading for the fact that I have observed over the 22 years that those parties could not come to terms or they could not get the dictatorship out. Every time there was uh, uh, an attempt, there was a gap, and this man was coming out, Yaya was coming back. And I thought, let me this time, I'm not going to be an onlooker, I'm going to be an active participant. Mm-hmm. I came, I spoke to all the opposition parties, I visited them personally, and I even traveled out of the country to meet some of the others like my party uh, in Dakar. And I told them, I'm coming, I don't want you to compromise, compromise, compromise your parties or to abandon your parties, but we have to change the strategy. And here I am offering myself to take this lead, and then we work on coalition that's going to make all of us come together as a formidable force to remove this guy. But when I went into this space, it was very hostile, frankly speaking. As a woman, and coming uh, coming, uh, coming to say I want the same position, I was not told get out, but all actions and all the efforts that I saw were indications of tightening the space for me. And I felt that was not going to work because I am ready and out to make sure that this change happened. One uh, we, uh, as a woman, I want to bring that feminist perspective into the whole equation of uh, governance. We are, as a mother, and in our culture, when a woman comes out, she doesn't. She has a broader outlook in terms of what affects the population than having that selfish tendency of power, wanting to wield power. Your power should be diffused and should be located in almost everything, and you use it to galvanize that process to move on. And I came with that feeling of feminist perspectives into the whole thing. But I could see that it was a highly male-dominated domain at the time. But then I went on and I continued with the negotiations. And we finally, I had to go out into the public, Mm -hmm. to go around the field. And when the, the crowd was seen that was behind me and the formidable force that I galvanized, it was obvious that power does not reside in only one side. It was dispersed and I also have power and people were listening to me. Having come back, we had a negotiation 
uh, internal negotiation, a team was sent to me and we spoke. I told them I did not come to destroy this process. I have come to make this process work. And if a convention was done and you have come with a, uh, with, uh, a, a leader, that was Adam Abaro, I am ready to will behind him, support him, and make sure that the change that Gambians what would come, and that is what I did, exactly what I did. So we had a formidable coalition consisting of eight uh, uh, eight stakeholders, including two independent candidates, uh, and we traverse the length and breadth of the country. Uh, we all have our constituencies in terms of where we will uh, support and it was obvious that across the country I had a very strong support and the, I pulled from the constituency of women and the youth. So whilst it was difficult, we came to consensus and we agreed that we are going to throw away all our differences and come together. So the change was actually effected by the coalition, the diasporians and all other interested citizens and friends of the Gambia to make this work because there were financial uh, support from the diaspora and many people. You also had the youth, the energy of the young people and women who were on those campaign trails, who were working effortlessly in such a great, uh, uh, with the energy I could not understand. I even, I, I, I sometimes I just ask myself, are we actually living beings? Because we would go for more than 48 hours sleeplessly, sleepless nights, moving from one community to another. And I want to say that what I realized was that every community that the team went to gave us their votes. It, we lost to only where we did not visit. And that was very interesting when I came to analyze the outcome. So if we had time, if we were given more than 14 days um, for the coalition to go, we were mm -hmm. going to sweep the whole country, honestly. Absolutely. Absolutely, yes. It was the time factor and all that was created by the former regime to tighten the political space. So, Roger, we have an opposition that united and nominated Barrow as their candidate. What happened next? So what happens next is the exciting part. You have former President Jame, who runs against this nobody candidate, Adam Arbaro, who was a shoe shiner in London for numerous years. Funny fact. <laughs> um, and uh, when he ran as a candidate, he was really just, I think, the secretary or the the budget guy for the opposition party, UDP. Uh, so it was really a big surprise. And I mean, most people had very low expectations. And given uh, the notorious passive of, of, of the Gambia and uh, numerous other African countries, elections are, are often, uh, can be often rigged and those type of things, right? And so there were not high hopes for uh, a victory for the opposition, um, at least not from the international perspective. However, uh, Barrow won. Amazingly. How was their voter turnout? Voter turnout was really high. And so that was one of the big uh, victories for us as IRI was that the small funding that we were able to contribute to to these youth uh, rallies and campaigns across the country uh, allegedly really did help in a way, uh, in addition to other, obviously, efforts from the coalition to get the vote out. But um, seeing the massive youth turnout, and this is something that a lot of the elected officials, uh, newly elected officials, have mentioned to us uh, after the fact. But to get back to, I guess, your first question, uh, immediately following the election, uh, Jame accepted the results. Um, however, I think it was about a week later, he rescinded those results, came back on his decision, um, and tried to drag out, delay uh, the, contested, the contested results. One week after his acceptance of defeat, Gambian President Yahya Jame now says the election was rigged. I hereby announce to you, Gambians, my total rejection of the election results 
and thereby annulling the elections in its entirety. And until we go back, we will go back to the polls because I want to make sure that every Gambian has voted. The National Assembly called a state of emergency in January. So events were unfolding in a very uh, negative way. However, simultaneously, you had a lot of attention from the regional West African body, the ECOWAS, uh, who are following this very closely. ECOWAS, what is that? ECOWAS is the Economic Community of West African States. ECOWAS, I mean, typically doesn't have a mandate to be involved in the politics of each country, similarly to maybe what you would see uh, with the European Union. In Europe, they, they play a, a mostly economic role, but they do have uh, authority to weigh in on a country, um, a country's contested elections. Um, and beyond this, I mean, uh, eventually... Uh, and this is the short version, eventually Jami left. Uh, and this is what, what was really exciting at the end of January 2017. Uh, uh, he, he left and fled to uh, Equatorial Guinea or went into exile to Equatorial Guinea. Uh, and he's been there ever since. Um, and so now we have a new government. So did Jame leave voluntarily or was there pushback? Not really. So he, he left voluntarily in the sense that he negotiated with these mediation groups. But really what I think pushed him to leave ultimately is that Senegal sent in the troops. Um, and so you had tanks that rolled in. So he was basically escorted out. <laughs> in a way, yeah. You could say he was escorted out. I mean, it, I mean, he, he was escorted out and also took a lot of stuff as he left. So, I mean, you have the pictures of him like loading up his Rolls Royces into the into the planes and then them finding that up in oh. Mali and, and, and whatnot. And then eventually uh, the state coffers were found to be empty. I mean, and that's, that's taken, it's still being resolved. I mean, it's something that it will take years for the Gambian people to recover from because um, this man really just stole everything the Gambia had. Yeah, just going to a sort of a regional context now, we know the ECOWAS uh, played a very important role in the post-election uh, period to help move Jame along. Um, but Gambia is really sort of unique in the sense that it's pretty much almost fully encircled, <laughs> except for the ocean, by Senegal. Can you talk a little bit about the role that Senegal plays, you know, in sort of its recent history? Right. Well, I think Senegal, their leadership played an absolutely crucial role. I think President Macky Sall uh, and their proactive engagement on the Gambian issue was absolutely critical. If it wasn't, I, I feel confident in saying if it wasn't for the role of Senegal, we very well may still have Jame in power if he, if he refused to go. So I think the fact that President Saul and, and other democratic forces in Senegal, along with President Buhari of Nigeria, the former president of Liberia, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, I think their really quick action, uh, their their proactivity, the fact that they traveled to Banjul a number of times to, to meet with Jame to convince them to leave um, was was crucial. And I think the the leadership role that ECOWAS in general, with Senegal playing a lead role uh, that they were able to muster and 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 follow through to the end uh, in terms of the the Gambia situation really set an example for the entire continent. And and of course the the person leading the country now is Adama Barrow, the president. So Dr. Torre, who is he? Because you know not many people know him. They talk about his time in the UK. They've talked about his career. But who is Adama Barrow as a person, and certainly maybe a little bit more about his background? Yes, Adama Barrow is uh, was a member of the United Democratic Party, who has been there for as a young activist and has been in the game for a long time. But taking being at the background as the assistant 
treasurer uh, supporting the whole uh, the whole the party uh, he has been in politics for a long time but he was quiet now his emergence came when the political the leader of the UDP was Scott and the issue of leadership came and he happened to be brought in as a leader because the party does not have to sit down and wait for the leader to come out of prison then it means he has not done his work he has always respected the voice of the coalition especially when we come to consensus on things and he has been emphasizing the fact that he respects uh, democracy human rights freedom of the people and if you can see since he came into power he has been implementing these things as you see when you watch the ways that things are going the prisoners who have been released the due process of the law is taking place and he's doing it in a very f fair and relaxed environment and I believe that as we move on people will begin to see the qualities he has as a leader. In many ways you may have had one of the greatest impacts on making sure that everything moved in the right direction. You talked a little bit about bringing feminism to the political space and, and I can imagine that your candidacy has inspired a lot of women and young girls to stand up and move forward and take advantage of their demo demo democratic rights. Uh, how, what have you seen change in the women in your country? I could see the number, if you look at the campaign, the number of women that came out and the efforts that they have made. But we still have a lot of hurdles to do because uh, we need to sensitize more people. We have the votes over there. The women have the votes and they are ready to come. But majority of them are not educated. And as a result, that's a gap. But those who have the right profile also find it very difficult because it's a very hostile environment, a male-dominated society uh, uh, space where if you don't, if you are not strong and you are not really determined, you may find yourself having to go because there are several ways in which you are told you are not wanted here. But you have to be strong and understand that dynamics of masculinity within this space. And that's something I have actually been dealing with. And I am encouraging more women to come out. And I had about 15 women who came after me telling me I want to come out as a National Assembly candidate. And I am encouraging them. I'm also, I also think that there is need to do more awareness creation, more organized uh, advocacy work in that field. And that's what I have been thinking through when I came out. Jeff, so fast forwarding a bit now, we're a little over one year since Adam Barrow was declared the winner of the presidential elections, if I'm not mistaken. How would you rate um, his first year and his government's first year in office? I, I think the new Barrow government uh, has made some, some positive steps. I think the emphasis on, uh, again, the emphasis on reversing some of the declines on civil liberties and political rights has been tremendously important, um, giving the people their, their voice back, essentially, both metaphorically and, and quite literally legally, um, reversing some of the more uh, draconian laws uh, that were on the books in the country. But of course, there, there's, uh, there's also been, been challenges as well. I think um, one of the areas in which they, they have fallen short has been the service of or basic service delivery. Um, you know, many people I speak to in Gambia and, and when I was there in, in September were complaining about um, electricity outages, lack of access to, to fresh, clean drinking water, um, public transportation, uh, the, the condition of the roads. So I think working on those those basic issues um, has been and continues to be a challenge. But um, I, I do remain hopeful because I think I think the president has surrounded himself with some with some very bright minds who, who really do uh, have um, the, the the best interests of the country um, 
in their hearts and minds. And um, it's going, it's certainly going to be a challenge. Uh, but but there's a tremendous amount of regional and international goodwill behind the president and his administration. So I remain cautiously optimistic, although acknowledging some of the the challenges that that currently prevail. Yeah, and I, you know one thing that continues to come up uh, as they put forward their policies, talk to the people, uh, to the Gambians, is this issue of the reform agenda. We hear a lot about it. What does it mean? What is it? Um, can they achieve it? Uh, is it a gimmick? Yeah, I, I think the re- reform agenda, like I mentioned, really is, you know, the, the centerpiece of of the Barrow government and, and those of the coalition members who 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 are behind him and helped get him elected and now comprise his cabinet. It's a real thing. It's just a matter of enacting it at this point, right? Again, the, many of the many of the gambits I've spoken to are are pleased with that. They're encouraged by it, um, but they're not. And while the government has good intentions and has resolved to make a clear and unequivocal break from the from the past, um, much of that goodwill uh, has yet to translate to on the ground results. So in other words, there really continues to be a significant gap between the government's rhetoric, which has been positive in the lived reality for the majority of Gambians. I think there's a noticeable gap between um, their the government's aspirations and the actual capacity to get things done. So I'm not necessarily convinced that it's it's for lack of political will. I think many of the, the shortcomings have been due to a lack of capacity. Many of these individuals, including the president himself, have zero or had zero governing experience up until this point. So I think that's certainly um, an area that, that, that needs to be addressed. Talking about the ICC, but maybe more in terms of what has occurred in the country over the past two decades, justice, transitional justice. So many people have been jailed. Uh, so many abuses have taken place. So many communi- communities divided. Now, you really are faced with a process of bringing people together. What are you What are you thinking about this, and how 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 do you move forward? I think this has already started happening. If you look at what happened with all the abuses of human rights, as soon as we came into power, Adam Abaro was able to get the Minister for Justice and the Interior release most of the prisoners, political prisoners, and prisoners who were unjustifiably listen the impunity that was put on them because of the shrinking democratic space. I think most of them are out now, and there is also a due process in uh, of diligence being put in place we are also moving with um uh, t- trying to look at how we are going to make, come to the community of nation by restoring the, the the status of gambia in all these bodies that are binding to on us in terms of uh, human rights and justice and all other things we are we also plan to have a panel or a commission on truth and reconciliation. And of course, we know there has been a lot of uh, killings, extrajudicial killing by the president, and some were done under uh, secrecy. Uh, you know, you have heard about the junglers who are being arrested, and I'm sure with their cooperation and what has gone, the journalists and all these things would come to play. Uh, it's a process. We do not want to use, we don't want to abuse even the rights of those who have committed those crimes. We want to follow the due process of the law because this is what democracy calls for. And we will try as much as possible to make sure that everything is addressed without having to give ourselves a bad name. Mm -hmm. We know they have done the injustices. There are institutions and processes that one has to follow. And we're going to address that uh, with the support of people. We're going to do a lot of reforms with the the Constitution and how these things have been done. And of course, Jamais will be accountable. Absolutely. And... I'll talk a little bit about the diaspora. 
Well, the Gambian diaspora is very active. Absolutely. Uh, they've been quite an important support structure for you all. Mm -hmm. And many of them are headed, headed home. Yes. Um, and probably listening to this podcast, Absolutely. I'm sure. They're very active. <laughs> so what do, you, what do you tell them? What are you going to say to them? I just want to say, I, I, you are right. The Gambian diaspora was formidable. If this change occurred, they, have, they were the foil and engine of it. They played a very key role. They were very much engaged in financially, technically, and they used the social media to create a lot of awareness and impact on their families. And I think the role that they played has also contributed to this great change that occurred in the Gambia. I just want to say thank you to all of them. They were great. They saw themselves as Gambians and they saw the need for Gambia and they also believe in democracy. Perhaps they are living in societies that have a relatively good democracies and where freedom of expression is something that one cannot that one has to value and also freedom of expression in all its ramification and i think they translated this in the gambia and i'm sure a lot of them would also want to come home they should think about coming home to come and contribute to the new gambia the new Gambia, where we want the people to unleash their potentials, to bring in the best that they can, and see that we move further and forth further. But at the same time also, those who have chosen to remain will also try to be role models, influencing how things occur in the Gambia and how we move on through this process. And I just want to say thank you to them. This change is theirs. We did it together and we are where we are because it was a concerted effort and they played a very critical and crucial role in ensuring that it happened. So Jeff, Jame and his future. So we're a year since his, uh, his hurried departure from Banjul. He is now in Equatorial Guinea, rumored to be farming. Um, he left uh, the Gambia with a number of stolen assets. There are now discussions about issues of the ICC, extradition. Where do we stand with that? What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I would, in terms of uh, Jame potentially being extradited or, or one day facing justice for the, the myriad crimes he committed in the Gambia, I would like to be optimistic, but I'm less optimistic and a bit more cynical there, just given the fact that he currently resides in Equatorial Guinea, uh, which is ruled by the longest ruling leader in Africa, um, President Obiang. In fact, he's the longest ruling non-monarch in the world. He's been in power since 1979, and he has already stated publicly that he would be reticent to even consider any any motion to, to extradite Jami for, for him to... to, to to face to potentially face justice and, and accountability for his actions. Um, so I, I'm I'm less optimistic there. I do, however, feel very strongly about the role that non-governmental organizations are playing, both internationally and in the region and in and in Gambia, to start building uh, an advocacy campaign for Jame to ultimately face justice. I think those efforts are are necessary. It's necessary to continue talking about the crimes that he committed, whether um, political or human rights related, or whether they're corruption and economic related. I think the fact that he systematically looted the country for 22 years and systematically decimated um, the political opposition, civil society, and, and the human rights community writ large can't go unanswered. I think he ultimately has to face justice for the, for the many crimes he committed. And count me among one of the, the 
the the many who who would be happy and and very relieved and um, applauding the day that 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 may ultimately happen. So I'm going to finish this off with more of a uh, fun question, shall we say, that I ask that we ask all of our guests. So Jeff, if you were to shoot off a time capsule into deep space and include one physical object that were to represent the Gambia, what would you include? Wow, I have I have many, <laughs> but I think I I think I would take with me. You know, I think this is this is going to be a, maybe a bit of a strange answer, but I think I would take with me. It's a photograph. It's a photograph of of me standing with several activists uh, from the Gambian diaspora that was taken in 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 2014. It was in the immediate aftermath of the Africa the U.S. Africa Leaders Summit that took place here in Washington D.C. in August of 2014. At the time. Um, Jame's security guards at the Hay Adams Hotel, which is this famous five-star hotel, his security guards came out and and really quite viciously beat up many of the anti-Jame protesters out there. And it was at that time that I really said to myself, Jame's time is up. We really need to roll our sleeves up, start bringing people together, building a coalition, consolidating pro-democracy forces, and get this guy out of office in December 2016. And that was really there's a picture of that day with me standing with Fatou Kamara, who, who many of the, the listeners of this podcast might be familiar with and others who I was there with. Um, and, and we really decided at that moment in time on that day to, to, to really put all of our efforts, whether personal, professional or, or otherwise, towards, towards building this uh, groundbreaking coalition that would ultimately depose Jame. And, and you know, three years later, we, we actually did it. Um, and that picture really, for me, uh, is, is, is emblematic of that and reminds me of, you know, even the, even the longest of journeys begins with a single step. And if change uh, can happen in Gambia, if true democratic change can happen in Gambia, it can happen anywhere. It's just a matter of bringing the right people together and, and staying committed to, to a just cause. And I think um, that's, you know, that that's truly inspiring for me and, and gives me hope that um, change, regardless, of, no, no matter how oppressive the environment, it, it, it can happen. So, JT, if our listeners only remember three things from yeah. today's episodes, what should they be? I think a big takeaway, not just for the Gambia, but for countries all around the world, um, who are facing similar circumstances under dictatorship is that if you can unify, if you come together and stick together, you can go on the right path. And that's what happened here. A ragtag group of political parties came together and they ousted the 22-year dictator by presenting a different choice. I agree. And I think the second takeaway for me would be that persistence and commitment, they're key to any kind of democratic transition, right? Exactly. And for the Gambia in particular, I would say that this transition, it's not the final product. There's still a lot of work to be done and the Gambians have to be patient. It's a decades long struggle. Absolutely. The third takeaway is they have a number of big issues that they have to tackle moving forward. Um, It's important that they stay committed to constitutional norms and the democratic institutions that they're building right now moving forward in the future. So we have to thank our guests. We had a number of good ones. Oh, they were fantastic. First, we'd like to thank Dr. Torre, and best of luck to her in her new position as the Gambia's Minister of Trade, Regional Integration, and Employment. You can follow her on Twitter at... Dr. Isatu Torre. Yeah, I mean, she really set the set the stage and gave us a good insight of what happened on the ground during that tra- this early transition period. Another person we need to thank is Jeff Smith. Uh, great work on his part, what he's been doing to advocate for the Gambia. Um, you can follow him on Twitter. He's very active, at Smith underscore Jeffrey T. Um, and 
you know, our third guest. IRA's very own Roger Mitchell. Roger. Roger Mitchell. <laughs> and you can follow him on Twitter at ROG John Mitchell. Yeah, Roger was one of the first people on the ground for IRI. Um, he's worked really closely with a number of the Gambian activists who've been moving the country forward in this democratic spirit. So great work, Roger. It's great to hear from him. Let me explain to you what's going down now. Uh, uh. I don't know if y'all heard this or not, what? but it's really sad to see people working for months without receiving salaries. If you don't believe me, then my life why KMC. Go ask your neighbors what they had to eat. But I see them out there spending thousands on a gala dinner While the poor people out there ain't having no dinner Thank you for listening everyone Hope you enjoy the episode today If you'd like to follow us Please check us out at IRI Global You can also leave a comment for us on our iTunes page And Chessie, you know what February is, right? No, tell me more It has Valentine's Day So share a podcast (laughs) with your Valentine And chocolate Yes, and the Gambia (laughs) podcast is the best one to share (laughs) The perfect gift for any Valentine's Day, right? Here is a Gambia podcast. Yes, and we can wish uh, the global podcast happy Valentine's Day. I don't know about you, JT, but all I want for Valentine's Day is a five-star rating on iTunes. That's an easy one. Right? Uh, So listeners out there, please do uh, reach out to us. We always want to hear your comments, your complaints, and certainly your suggestions for countries to, to cover. And if you don't hear from me after this... Y'all know where I'm at and what's going on. If you've made it this far, Congratulations. You, 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 you are ready to hear the clue for our next episode. Chessie, take it away. So JT, this country in 1913 had three presidents in the span of one hour. Wow. I'm not even kidding. So listeners, if you have any idea of what this country may be, shoot us a comment and we will give you a shout out in next month's episode. Until next time. Until next time. <laughs>